Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the power in your word. We thank you for the love that's injected into your word. I think they're one and the same because they flow from the same heart. And so thank you, Father, that we can believe that when the word goes forth, the word is always on an assignment, it's always on a mission to bring hope, uh, to bring light, to bring life, to bring laughter, to bring joy, to bring the things that we just cannot manufacture enough on our own. And we thank you, Father, that there's an inexhaustible supply of grace that comes from your word. And that's what this ministry stands for. We are a ministry of grace. And as we dispense this grace, as we take this grace and we put it into the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls, I thank you, Father, that lives are more than just enriched, but lives are changed. Lives are just changed forevermore. And we have one person to thank for that, and that's you and Jesus, Holy Spirit. You are one and the same, gracious that you are, kind in every way, loving in every way, rich in every way, in Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready for the word this morning? Been two weeks, you know, amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I began a sermon series and I learned from that series that it's kind of hard to say that word in church without everybody's iPhone wanting to talk to you. You see, every time Siri hears that word, she thinks it's all about her. You know what? That's kind of the way we are, and that's the way religion has taught us to make us think it's all about us. It's never been about us, friends. It's always been about Christ. It's always been about the Father, this rich and loved Father. I believe that the revelation of his unconditional love, the revelation of his grace helps us to see that. It helps us to see ourselves in light of his goodness and grace. So I began this series that I'm calling by one sacrifice, our perfection in Christ. Our perfection in Christ is more than just some sort of far-fetched idea. It's more than just some sort of empty wish. Our perfection in Christ comes from promises, promises that are made in the Word of God. I mean, you can look all directions, north, south, east, and west, and you can find the promises, and we'll see some of those today in this Word that I'm going to be ministering. And so the revelation of our perfection reaches out to us from the Word. If we didn't have the Word, how would we know? We wouldn't know. We would always walk around feeling by our feelings, by our emotions. And our feelings and our emotions are rarely accurate, to be honest with you. And so the foundational scripture that I've been using throughout this series is my favorite scripture, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, and it reads like this. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And I believe this scripture literally underpins this entire series that I've been ministering because I don't know of a scripture in the Bible that is more plain than this scripture. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Friends, encompassed into that single verse are many truths. There's a lot of truths in that verse. Liberating truths. Liberating from the perspective that these verses reach down into the coal mine shaft of darkness and despair. And these truths reach out to us and... They rescue us. I'm talking about people that have been trapped beneath or below the weights of, listen to me, condemnation and conditionality. I'm talking about people who, when they fall short, 
of the standards and the conditions that man and religion have attached to their righteousness. You say, oh, come on, Mark. Now, man is going to attach some conditions to your righteousness? <laughs> yeah, of course he does. Religion attaches conditions to our righteousness. See, it comes up and it shows up in the form of what we call conditional conjunctions. Things like if, that's a conditional conjunction. When, in other words, nothing happens until, or but, or as soon as. These are all conditional conjunctions. And this is what man will attach to our righteousness in Christ. And they will say, you are righteous if. You are righteous when. You're righteous as long as. Come on, I'm not alone on this thing. You guys have heard this all your lives, right? And so I want to say it as plain and as straight as I can. And I want you to underscore my words in your heart this morning. There are no conditions to maintaining, retaining, or sustaining our righteousness in Christ. We have been made perfect and we are continually strengthened by grace. And that's what I want to minister about today as I add the fifth message to this sermon series, a message I'm calling Made Perfect, Strengthened by Grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, we find these words, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, the first and most obvious thing that jump out of this scripture is that the sinless was made sin and the sinful was made righteous. <laughs> Friends, only in Christ can such an exchange take place. The sinless made sin, the sinful made righteous. Only in Christ can something like that happen. The characters, if you will, that emerge from this scripture are God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and humanity. For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Christ, to be sin for us, that's humanity, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we know by the scriptures that no man comes to the Father except the Father draws him. And how does he draw him? He draws him by the Holy Spirit, the sweet Holy Spirit. So we can see the entire Godhead in this scripture. We can see humanity in this scripture. But do you notice by looking at this scripture that the verb made is used on two occasions, once for Jesus and once for us. Jesus was made to be sin for us and we were made the righteousness of God in him. Now, we would normally not pick up on this in the English because we use words when we should have used different words to distinguish one from the other. But the word made for Jesus is a different word than the word made for for us, for humanity. So behind our English words are two totally different Greek words. Let's take a look at the word behind Jesus is made when it says he was made to be sin for us. It is the Greek word poieo. I don't expect that you'll be impressed by that. You don't need to remember that necessarily, but this is what it means. Appointed, made ready, ordained, purpose formed, and prepared. I really love that part that he was prepared. So as we think about the scripture that we just read a minute ago, where it says, for he hath made him, it is literally saying that God hath purposed Jesus to be sin for us. He hath ordained Jesus to be sin for us. He hath made ready. He hath 
formed Jesus to be. But here's the one I love. He has prepared. Jesus came prepared to be sin for us. This wasn't something that he decided after he got here. He had been prepared for eons, friends, to be sin for us because God can look down the timeline of humanity and he can see everything that waits man, everything, his fall, his destruction, he could see that. So he had already prepared that lamb in advance even before the foundation of the world was laid. So let's ask the question, what did the forming and preparation of Jesus look like? Well, Jesus was formed by the sweet Holy Spirit into the belly of a teenage girl by the name of Mary. And he was formed just like you are formed and I am formed, flesh and blood. He had flesh and blood. Now, friends, that means, listen, he grew up in a carpenter shop. His daddy, Joseph, was a carpenter, right? So no doubt his daddy taught him how to work in a carpenter's shop. Do you think Jesus handled wood all those years and never got a splinter? I don't think so. Why? Because he's flesh and blood. He came so that he could identify with us. Not be far away, but he came so he could identify with us. His emotions were touched. His feelings were touched at times. Absolutely. He was flesh and blood. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was ordained. He was purposed. He was appointed. He was prepared to do what? What was he prepared to do? Well, he was prepared to take away our sins. That's why Jesus came. He came to show us the Father. He came to take away our sins. And in the process, listen to me carefully, of taking away our sins, he made us perfect in our spirits. He made us perfect in that location inside of us by what? By taking away our sins. Who? for those who approach him in faith. You have to approach him. You have to come to him in faith. The sweet Holy Spirit will draw you. And when you come to him, you come to him in faith and you receive his gift by faith alone. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Jesus was prepared. And you know what? He was poured out as a final drink offering. And through his once for all sacrifice on the cross, he would take away our need to sacrifice. Now hear me closely on this because when I say he came to take away our need to sacrifice, I'm not only talking about bulls and goats and lambs and pigeons and turtle doves. I'm talking about you when you feel like you've blown it and you feel like you need to fast for a week to help take away those sins. That's a sacrifice. That's an offering for sin. But Jesus came to take away our need to sacrifice for sins too. He took away our sins completely. Or anything that you might add to that. I'm going to pray one extra hour. Listen, I've been on five-day fast, 10-day fast, 40-day fast. I've been on all those things before. And I think they can be very spiritual. But I never went on any of these things because I wanted to get rid of sin. Okay? I never wanted to go on one of these things because I wanted to make myself more spiritual. I went on them because I felt led by the Holy Spirit at the time to go into these things. And I wanted to listen to his heart and enjoy him on the journey through these things. It isn't even just to get things because there were times I would enter into a fast and I had no idea what the Lord was doing on my behalf. But I was just doing that because I felt led by the Spirit. So how did he do this? He did this by taking away our sins once for all. Jesus was ordained not only to take away our sins, but he was ordained to take away the first covenant. He was prepared to take away the first covenant and our need to sacrifice for sins. I love these scriptures. I used Hebrews 10 verse 14. But then the scriptures that lead up to that are equally important. Hebrews 10 14 is kind of the crescendo 
of what's building up in Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 10. Let's look at these scriptures. It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. Now, I want you to stare at the scripture for a second. And I want to reduce verse 1 down to a single statement. Let's take a look at it. For the law can never make perfect. I want you to get that in your heart. I don't think that's a revelation to you. This is what we preach here. The law can never make perfect. That is exactly what this scripture is saying. So the law can never make us perfect. It wasn't designed to make Israel perfect. It was designed to protect Israel. It was designed to hem her in from her enemies. It was designed to protect her in so many different ways. But the law is not the heart of God. You can't reach God, but through the law, it was just simply the system that God put in place for the time, but it would pass away. So I've reduced it down to really a simple statement, and hopefully this will help you the next time any of you try to add your dollar store jewelry to Jesus's finished work, friends. You just don't need to do it, okay? Now let's continue in, the, in these verses. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. See, if you're the one doing the sacrifice, you're going to be reminded you're doing it for that reason. You're doing it. Why are you doing the sacrifice? Because I've sinned. So he said, there's a reminder every year of these sins. For it is not possible. Come on, underscore this. Let this fall to the sticky side of your heart today. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Do you see that? It's not possible. Well, if the blood of bulls and goats can't do it, then what can? Your pitiful stuff? No, the blood of Jesus does it. You can't add anything to that. It says, therefore, when he came into the world, that's Christ, he said, look what he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. I told you Jesus was prepared, friends. He said, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Now, this is a weird thing. Why would God put this into the law if he's got no pleasure in it? Well, he did it for us, not for him. He did it for us so that our conscience could be cleansed. He set up the system, not just so that he could love us if we did it, everything perfectly. No, he said, I'm not pleased, he said, with these sacrifices for your sin. He said, I had no pleasure in those things. Continue, and he says, then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. He said, look, if you follow the law right down to the letter, he said, those offerings for sin, those sacrifices for sin is not my heart. They don't reach my heart, even if you do it according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first. What is the first? It's the first covenant. Let's stay in context here. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. And like you see there in verse 10, it says, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ 
once for all. Friends, let me say something to you. Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice brought about our once-for-all sanctification. We are made holy through his body on the cross. Is that what it says right there? Where was he sacrificed at? On the cross. So we were made holy. We were sanctified, if you will. We were set apart by his body on the cross. So we have a once-for-all sacrifice from Christ. We have a once-for-all sanctification that he's given us as a gift. We are not progressively made holy through our pitiful sacrifices and offerings, friends. We were made holy by Jesus' body on the cross, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the body of Jesus Christ. How long? Once for all. Our scripture again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us, that's poieo, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, the word behind made the righteousness of God, I told you, was different than poieo. Let's look at this one. It's genomai. And I love this definition when it says we were made the righteousness of God. It means become, be brought to pass. I love this part. Be done, be ended, be finished. Friends, I couldn't make this up in a million years. Go look in your own concordance. You'll find the exact same words. Be done, be ended, be finished. So when he says you were made the righteousness of God in Christ, it's done, it's ended, it's finished. The righteousness that Jesus gave us is done. It has ended. We have a complete righteousness. I want you to take a look at this next slide here. I put this together so that you can get this better visual. We have a complete righteousness. And with a complete righteousness, he put an end to sins, sacrifice, and shadows. Shadows of the old covenant. Through the complete righteousness that God gives us, he gives us salvation, sanctification, and spirit. That's what a complete righteousness looks like. It takes away and it gives. It takes away the parasites that are no longer good for us, and it deposits the richness of Papa into our hearts and into our lives. The righteousness that Jesus gave us, friends, is a finished work, and it is his best work. You need to get that in your hearts this morning. As I was just meditating on this message, the Lord began to draw a picture in my heart that an artist never signs his artwork until it is finished. And I thought, yeah, that is the last thing they would want to put on that painting or that drawing that they've done. Their signature would be an evidence, if you will, a proof that I have completed this piece of artwork. You know what they're doing? They're declaring it to be officially done and it's made to go public. That's what they're doing the second they sign it. Now, it doesn't matter what their signature looks like. They could put two dots and a little cross, but just stay consistent with your signature, okay? It doesn't matter where they put it on the actual painting as long as it's on there. And if it's on there, then that signature says this is complete. Friends, as I was thinking about that, I thought about the wooden sign that hung above Jesus' head when he was nailed to the cross. We see the scripture actually in John chapter 19, verses 19 and 20. It says this. It says, Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus from Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. Now, this is the part I love. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. 
The Bible says to let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Friends, nailed to the cross above Jesus' head was a wooden plaque that declared in three languages that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Pilate signed it on behalf of Jesus. And even after Jesus was crucified and his body was removed from the cross, that plaque remained nailed to the blood-soaked canvas of the cross as an inscription that the artwork was finished. In all of history, there would never be another painting that portrayed greater love than Jesus and his cross. Would you agree with that? I can't think of any other painting. As much as I don't like to look at that, even when you watch the Jesus films, I don't like that section where they crucify him. But there's no painting in all of history that could be painted that would portray a greater love than Christ on his cross. He was crucified for you and me, us and we. And I thought about that yesterday. I thought, every painting seems to have a name. The Mona Lisa, London Bridges, whatever it may be. What would they name this painting? And daddy spoke to my heart and he said, son, they would call it unparalleled love. Nothing like it, son. Unparalleled love. So let me ask you a question. Is God's righteousness perfect? Think about it. Not a trick question. Is God's righteousness perfect? Well, of course it is. Everything about God is perfect. Now, here's the amazing thing. The law was perfect. The Bible says the law is perfect, converting the soul. The Bible says the law is good and holy and righteous. The law was perfect. In fact, there was nothing that the Father could have done to have made the law more perfect and more righteous. There's nothing he could have done. You see, the problem wasn't the law. The problem was man. Imperfect man couldn't keep a perfect law. That doesn't make the law imperfect. Man was imperfect. Imperfect man couldn't keep a perfect law. So then, in a situation like that, God faced a multiple choice. Do you want to know what his multiple choice was? He could scrap the law, or he could scrap man. But he had to do one or the other. Otherwise, man would totally forever live under condemnation, live under total failure. His sins would never be satisfied. The blood of bulls and goats would never please God, as we read before in the scriptures. I believe Daddy made the right choice. He chose humanity by ordaining Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, that we might be made perfect, strengthened by grace. I was walking through the break room at work about a week ago, and I saw a man I don't see very often. He works out in the factory. And I said to him, I said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, good. How about you? I said, I'm doing good. I said, what's been happening? He said, oh, man, kind of wiped his head like this. He said, I'm always busy. I said, doing what? He said, moving my kids. And I said to him, daddy just can't say no, can he? And he looked at me and said, why would I? I thought, man, what a great answer. And the Holy Spirit said, Mark, you write that down. I want you to forget that. He said, why would I? You see, friends, daddy didn't say no either. His kids needed to be moved. Move from where, you ask? From rules to relationship? 
from law to love, from grind to grace, from darkness to light, from failure to fellowship. Move from the coal mine shaft of condemnation and conditionality to the it is done, it has ended, it is finished reality only found in Jesus Christ. He moved us from one location into the body of Christ. Do you see that in the scriptures? God said, I'm going to move you into a relationship with me through a new covenant brought about by the shed blood of my son, Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus signed his finished work with his blood. We have moved from lost to found. We have moved from death to life. We have moved from conditional to eternal. We have moved from the requirements of the old covenant to the righteousness of the new covenant. We have moved from Adam to Christ. It's a one-time move for his kids, a permanent residence, if you will. Come on. The scriptures declare in Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, in him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. If you want to get moved, friends, you move in Christ. He moves us and we move with Christ. The Father could have made us obsolete, but he loved us too much. Instead, he made the old covenant obsolete. And because the old covenant contained the law. Now see, religious people won't like what I'm about to say. Because the old covenant contained the law. The law is those Ten Commandments. That's part of the old covenant. If he made the old covenant obsolete, he made the Ten Commandments obsolete as well. Now listen, don't take me wrong on this thing. I'm not saying we break the Ten Commandments, but I'm talking about you are not justified by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is not our guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He's the one that talks to us in flesh and blood so that we can hear him. We don't need the cold tablets of the law to be our guide and our counselor and our fruit bearer and our convictor. No, we have Christ. We have the Holy Spirit to be our guide. So he made the old covenant obsolete. He made the law obsolete in terms of us trying to be righteous from that. Obsolete from the standpoint, again, that the old covenant is not our guide. The Holy Spirit does that. We were made righteous, listen, by faith, apart from the law. We were made righteous by faith, apart from the law. We see this truth in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Look at these words. But now, apart from the law, that literally means when it says apart from the law, it means without the help of the law. I mean, that's all it's saying. Now, without the help of the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love this next part. See, I don't know why we would take Romans 3.23. All it says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it's got a comma, not a period. And then verse 24, which we left off in the church when we were growing up. I don't remember anybody ever quoting verse 24, and it belongs to attached to verse 23. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely. Look at that. By his grace, we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Selah. I want you to pause and just think about that for a second. Selah means pause. And think about that. Have you ever noticed that 
in different states you drive through, or maybe you look at uh, geography things on the map, that there are states that have cities that you can find the name of that city in many different states, like Washington, like Springfield, like Clinton. One of the names that comes up in 15 states is the, the city called Athens. There's an Athens, Wisconsin. There's an Athens, Illinois. There's an Athens, Ohio. There's an Athens, Maine. There's an Athens, Georgia. But there's also an Athens, Tennessee, and an Athens, Texas. I've been to Athens, Texas. I know it's there. There's an Athens, Tennessee, and an Athens, Texas. Now, if you were to take the state Tennessee and abbreviate it, it'd be TN. If you were to take the state Texas and abbreviate it, it'd be TX. You got Athens, TN, Athens, TX. They look alike, don't they? But I guarantee if you set your GPS coordinate on Athens, Tennessee, you will not end up in Athens, Texas. I guarantee it. You say, Pastor Mark, what's your point? My point is this. A believer cannot set his or her heart's GPS coordinate on the old covenant and end up with new covenant liberties any more than a Burger King manager can access the cash register at a McDonald's. Friends, you just can't do it. What you set your heart on is what you're going to believe. Now, if you want to keep obeying these laws and rules and whatnot, listen, your salvation is a finished work. It ain't going anywhere. But the truth of the matter is, you'll never have the new covenant liberties of rest the new covenant liberties of peace and joy. You'll never have those things. You'll be toggling in and out of these things like a video game. As much as a Burger King manager would be powerless in a McDonald's. See, he has all the power when he's at home, but he goes somewhere else, he has no power. And this is the way it was with the law. At one time, the law had the power. But God came along and sent Jesus and made that law obsolete. And this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he wrote Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Let's take a look at this. It says, for what the law was powerless to do. You see that? Powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Whose flesh is that? Well, the law doesn't have any flesh. It's our flesh. It was weakened by the flesh. What did God do? God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin, not us, but he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friends, I just said a minute ago, there, there was nothing that God could have done to make the law or the old covenant better. Nothing he could have done. And there is nothing that he can do to make the new covenant better either, friends. By one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Through the new covenant, God condemned sin in the flesh. We were made perfect, strengthened by grace. There will never be another need for a sacrifice from Jesus Christ. His blood was sufficient to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So I've already asked the question, is God's righteousness perfect? Let me ask it a little bit different way. Do we possess God's perfect righteousness? Think about it. Absolutely. We were made, it says there, the righteousness of God in Christ. We are done. We have come to the end of ourselves. We are finished. We were made perfect, and we continue to be strengthened by grace. Pastor Mark, you keep saying that we are perfect. Now, you've put that on record many times. You've put that on a broadcast many times. Do you really believe that? Is that right? Are you really trying to say that we are made perfect? Yes, I'm saying that. Well, if we're perfect, 
then why is there a need for us to be strengthened by grace if we're already perfect? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, it's very simple, friends. That's because we're more than one part. We're body, soul, and spirit. You see, you can eat a perfectly good hamburger on a stale bun. And that stale bun ruins the entire experience, doesn't it? I'll tell you even one step further to help drive home this point. You put a perfectly good hamburger, I don't care if it's cooked by the finest cook in the world, the finest chef in the world, and you put it on a bun with gluten in it, my wife's going to have a problem with that bun. She's going to have a problem with that meal. And that's what it's like when we try to serve Christ, but we try to mix in the law, this wonderful, sumptuous meal of Christ, and we put him on something that we, we have an allergy to, which is the law, because it's not designed for us anymore. Nothing wrong with a hamburger, the bun spoils the experience. Friends, the old covenant, let me tell you something, had an expiration date on it, and that's why it said it was passing away. It had an expiration on it. You know what we do with things that have expiration dates on them when they're on the other right side of that? We throw that stuff away, don't we? When it goes beyond that expiration date. Our souls will grow stale when they are full of mixture. And I'm talking about the mixture of the old covenant and the new covenant. And when I say soul, I'm not talking about our spirits now. I'm talking about our minds, our wills, our emotions our feelings and things. This begins to grow stale when we mix in the old covenant with the new covenant. In our spirits, perfection. Totally perfect there. Our souls are where we need the strengthening. A believer just will never be free from condemnation until the old covenant has been purged, till the old covenant has been displaced, removed from their soul. A believer will never be free until the stale bun of performance is discarded. And that's all it is. Friends, performing to please our Father is like a stale bun on a hamburger. It just ruins the experience. They will never be free until the conditional conjunctions are removed. You see, the old covenant contained the law. And you know what the law did? The Bible says the law was the ministry that brought death. It didn't bring life, it brought death. We see this truth in 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Look at these words. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. Now, what are we talking about when he's talking about a ministry that brought death and engraved on letters of stone? Well, there's only one thing that we find in the Bible that was engraved in letters on stone, and that is the law. That is the Ten Commandments. So he's specifically referring to that law right here. The other Jewish laws were not put on stone. He's talking about the Ten Commandments here. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, he says, it came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. I love this, transitory though it was. You know what he's saying there? Let's just talk in modern day vernacular. It had an expiration date on it. It was transitory. It was like a gypsy wagon that was passing through, friends. It was transitory. It would come and it would go and it would be gone forever. He said, he said, if the ministry that brought death, he said it was glory at one time, but he said it was transitory. He says, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And this who is who lives on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. Friends, part of us is perfect. That's our spirit. Our bodies and souls are not perfect. We are never disqualified because two-thirds of our constitution fails to cooperate with our spirit man. Did you know 
that once a president is impeached, the articles of impeachment are drawn up in the House of Representatives. And if the majority passes to impeach him, he is impeached at that point in time. It moves over into the Senate, and the Senate, the 100 senators that we have, cast their vote. And if two-thirds of those senators say, yes, impeach this president, then he is convicted and he is removed from office. It takes two-thirds to impeach our president. Friend, there's two parts of us that don't always cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But God is greater than our souls. He's greater than our bodies. And we can never be impeached because 66 or 67% of us don't cooperate with the Spirit, man. He's far greater. You will never be disqualified because you're not cooperating with the Spirit. I think it does us good to cooperate with the Spirit. I think it helps us live long lives and see good days. You'll never be disqualified. Now, let me see if I can give you an example of what I'm talking about. I said, Holy Spirit, give me an example so that I can explain this better. October of 2000, I put an engagement ring on Valerie's finger. I stood in a church late one night, and I asked her to marry me, and I slipped an engagement ring over her finger. It's a beautiful solitaire diamond, just sparkling, so beautiful. Not as beautiful and sparkly as Valerie is, but very, very beautiful nonetheless. And over the 20 years that we've been married, there have been a couple of occasions or so that we've had to take that ring back to the, a jeweler because the prongs were bent. They needed to be strengthened. They needed to be replaced in some cases. It was the prongs that had the problem. I'm talking about the prongs, and there's multiple ones of them that come up almost like a crown and hold the diamond in place. So let me ask the question, why do they need to be repaired? Why do they need to be strengthened? Why do they need to be replaced? I'll tell you why. Because in Valerie's day-to-day -day activities, her ring bumps into things and gets damaged. Sticking it in your pants or whatever it may be, it gets damaged. But like the Spirit, the diamond never gets damaged. The diamond never loses her perfection. Only the prongs that hold her in place, which are a soul and a body. That's it. The diamond, the spirit, the perfection of us never, ever gets damaged. The soul can be damaged. The body can be damaged, but not the spirit. The prongs of a wedding ring are like the, the prongs of our souls and our bodies. They get damaged. You know how? By spending time in the coal mine shaft of condemnation. Our souls become toxic by feeding on and swallowing laws that were made not only for Israel, but have also become obsolete for her. Our souls are filled with despair and hopelessness when we believe that there are conditions that have somehow been attached to our righteousness. Friends, let me say it again. Like a diamond, we are made perfect, but the prongs of our souls and bodies are strengthened by grace. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that someone has put a blindfold on you. I mean, you can't see an ounce of light. And now they have grabbed you by the hand and they have walked you into the middle of a clothing store, a large department store. Your assignment is you have 30 minutes 
to pick out an entire ensemble. I'm talking about the undergarments. I'm talking about all your clothing, your shoes, your jewelry, whatever it may be. You have 30 minutes to pick out an ensemble that you're going to wear to a very, very important event that's coming up in your future. Now, you cannot use the help of your eyes and you cannot use the help of another person. You must feel your way through the aisles. You must feel your way along the shelves. You must feel your way up and down the shoe racks. You must feel your way through the jewelry counter and cases. Do you kind of get the picture? Do you see yourself doing that? Do you know how helpless you would feel? But you've got 30 minutes. The clock is ticking. You want to go dressed in something, so you better make short order of this thing here. Now, 30 minutes have come and gone. The ensemble that you have picked out, have selected, is the ensemble you will wear to that special event, but you will not see it until the day of. It will stay stored away until the day of. And now, time has went by. Time has come for your special event. It is at hand. Perhaps it's a wedding. Perhaps it's a graduation. Maybe it's an interview with a Fortune 500 company. It's a special event, like I said. Now comes time for the reveal. All your stuff comes up out of the bag. For some, <laughs> there would be hysterical laughter. Plaids with stripes and who knows what else. You know, sizes that are too small for you. Remember, you didn't have time to try anything on. You had to go by feelings. For others, there would be tears of disappointment and deep embarrassment. The point I want to make is this, friends. You would inevitably end up with some incongruencies. You would end up with some incompatibilities. You would end up with some articles of clothing that just don't match one another or maybe fit right. You would end up with shoes that are incompatible with the rest of your outfit. You would end up with jewelry that doesn't anchor what you're wearing, doesn't tie it down, doesn't make it look nice. It appears as though you are wearing more of a costume than a coordinate. You say, Pastor Mark, what is your point for that story? Friends, the blindfold analogy, unfortunately, is the way many believers operate in their Christian walk. They feel their way through life, trusting in their feelings, trusting in their emotions, trusting in their logic, trusting in their reasoning, trusting in their experience, trusting, listen to me carefully, in their doctrine, more than trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be so. We must be mindful that Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice, friends, made us perfect and holy. Remember, we were made holy by His body on the cross. In Him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our being. In Him we sparkle like a diamond. Only our prongs need strengthening. If you want to feel your way through life, then it won't take you very long to discover that your plan of salvation is filled with incongruencies, filled with incompatibilities. Feeling your way through life would be like wearing a high heel shoe on one foot and a penny loafer on the other. How many of you know you're going to have an awkward walk to you? You're going to have an awkward walk. I don't know what that would even look like. You'd just be hobbling. It'd be a crazy looking walk. 
That's how incompatible it is when we just say, I'm just going to feel my way through life. I just feel like, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I hear believers, say, well, you know, I just felt like I, I should have done that. I just felt, well, what did the Spirit say? I don't know, I didn't check with Him. Well, then that's why you ended up with an outfit that's incongruent. In the same manner, listen to me carefully now. I've said all that to say this. In the same manner, wearing the old covenant on one side of the heart and the new covenant on the other side of the heart is equally awkward. Doing so makes about as much sense as a wedding ceremony in a coal mine shaft. Can you imagine that? That bride in her pristine wedding dress and then she just marches deep down into a coal mine shaft to get married. That doesn't make sense, does it? Something so pure is not made for that. Friends, we are pureness in Christ. We are innocent in Christ. We are perfection in Christ. We're made for so much more. But it starts here in the mind. Take off that blindfold that blinds you and quit feeling your way through life and emotionalizing yourself through life and listen to the Spirit. Listen to His finished work speak to you. Believers who wear the Old Covenant and the new covenant simultaneously live in intermittent disappointment, frustration, and embarrassment. You say, Pastor Mark, how do you know that? Because I used to live there. I used to live there, friends. I used to live in the coal mine shaft of condemnation at one time. But you know what? I heard Papa's voice speak to me. He said, son, how'd you like to move today? I said, daddy, are you kidding me? Yeah, I want to move. Where are we going? He said, oh, son, we're going on a journey. It's going to take a while to get there. You won't get there overnight with me, son. I'm going to take you on a journey. You're going to love this move. And he moved me from the coal mine shaft of condemnation to the finished work of the cross. Isn't that awesome? Daddy wanted to take me on a journey. He said, son, I want to move you. I know this is true because I've had to coach people over the years. I mean, all the time, not only in the past, but in my present too. I've had to coach and counsel believers and unbelievers for years. You see, it shows up in things like their marriage. It shows up in things like their relationship with their kids. It shows up in things like their finances. It shows up in more subtle things like their bodies because they're medicating their body just to find satisfaction through food and through drink and through drugs and whatever it may be. It shows up in things like their impression and how they feel about and how they see themselves, their viewpoints of themselves. It shows up in things like how they view God, how they see God. And if you just listen to a man's words, it won't take you very long that you can see, oh, I get it. You're living in the coal mine, chef. You talk like a coal miner. Listen, I know about this. My daddy was a coal miner. He'd be a mile or so underground, come out, Black as tar, coughing up that old coal out of his lungs, ended up with black lung disease before he ultimately took his life. Their frantic cries rising from the coal mine shaft of condemnation. They find themselves about as helpless and hopeless as a blindfolded man or woman in a clothing store. They are new wine in old wineskins, outbursts of frustration, and broken vessels. That's the way the Holy Spirit said it to me. Outbursts of frustration and broken vessels. That's new wine in an old wineskin. That's what you end up. You end up with an outburst and a broken vessel. Friends, I got tired of living like that. And Daddy said, let's move. It's always been my desire, son. 
I said, Daddy, don't I have to give some sort of notice? No, son, you don't get no notice. Daddy, don't I need to pack? No, son, you don't need to pack. That's your problem. You're carrying too much stuff now. Let's start fresh. <laughs> I've said it before. I'll say it again, friends. Blending the old covenant, listen to me carefully, blending the old covenant with the new covenant makes about as much sense as blending sardines into your breakfast smoothie. How many of you know you got an incompatibility there? How many of you know, I don't care if you like them separate or not, mixed together, they're not fit for consumption. Incompatible. You see, that's what Jesus was getting at when he decided to do a little teaching one day with his disciples. You know, it sounded like this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 through 12. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. So that's what they're saying. They're like, oh, what he's really trying to say is he's trying to say this because he knows we didn't bring any bread. That's what they're saying, basically. Continuing, it says this. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? In other words, Jesus was saying, I can start with basically nothing and make all kinds of stuff out of it. And how many basketfuls you gather? Don't you remember that? Or how about the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? He says, how is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Oh, this would have been, the smiles have just went right off their face. He said, how was it that you didn't know I wasn't talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is a really important lesson for us to learn, friends. You say, Pastor Mark, is this still true today? And I believe it is. Jesus was telling his disciples that the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was their teachings. They were religious people. They were teaching about God. They were teaching about the Mosaic Law. They were teaching about the do's and the don'ts. Very religious people. And Jesus referred to that as yeast. He said, stay away from the yeast of the Pharisees and their teachings. The message of Old Covenant is like yeast in that it will silently and unknowingly infiltrate the soul. And that's why I'm careful to what I listen to because I don't know how it's affecting me because there's no immediate way to measure that. It's like yeast. It's quietly. It's silently. It's continuously affecting the entire lump. And it infiltrates the soul, the part of me that's not perfect, okay? My spirit, yes. My soul, no. And what it does is it eventually brings all the faculties under its control. It's gradual, but it's a certain reality. So there is much teaching today that can be compared to yeast. The problem with ministering the Old Covenant is it adds yeast. It adds leaven to an already perfect gospel. It hangs a candy necklace around the cross. Friends, leaven produces fermentation 
and unrest in the young and the unstable. At Triumphant Grace Ministries, we are very careful as to what we minister. We're very careful as to the songs we sing. We're very mindful of the exhortations that take place in this church. Why? Because we don't want to dress you in a high heel and a penny loafer. We don't want to dress you in a pristine wedding dress and then take you to the coal mines of condemnation. You say, come on, Pastor Mark, what's the problem with a little old covenant mixed into the new covenant message? I'm glad you asked that question. I'll tell you what the problem with it is. It's a fly in the ointment. I don't know if any of you have an experience with ordering a meal. Come on, it's bound to happen, Bob, to you at least once at 90 years of age. Ordering a meal at a restaurant, and all of a sudden they bring that meal, and there's a fly in your food. Or maybe there's a big long hair sticking out of your food. Let's just go with the fly for now, okay? There's a fly in my soup. There's a fly in your food. Now you've got some choices to make here. You can eat the food, fly and all. That's one choice. (laughs) Number two, you can pick the fly out and then just go ahead and eat your meal. Or number three, you can call the waiter and say, there's a fly in my meal and order a new meal. The waiter says, it's just a fly. Pick it out. I mean, that's all it is. And I thought about that as we were driving to church this morning. I thought another way you could handle it is just take your spoon and just one big scoop underneath the fly way underneath it, get the big hunk of that fly and all, just set that aside. Now all I have to ask for is another spoon. I got the meal already. I don't have to wait. I mean, that's another way you can handle it, right? I mean, it's just a little fly in the ointment. It's just a little fly in your meal. What would you do? Would you turn it back in? Of course you would. You know why? I'm going to tell you something. Because we understand It's not just, it's a fly. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's an earwig. Maybe it's a spider. Maybe it's a pretty little ladybug. I I don't know. Maybe it's a grasshopper. Maybe it's a cricket. It doesn't matter. What I think we come to, to know in the situation is this doesn't belong here. I didn't order this. This is not fit for consumption. That's why it's just repulsive. I mean, a hair, I've got... I pulled hairs out of my mouth sometimes. I'm like, what is this? Just get this whole thing. You just lose your appetite right now, don't you? (laughs) So would you just pick the fly out of your meal and uh, just go ahead and continue to eat? Of course not. You wouldn't, would you? The soup would no longer be fit or the meal would no longer be fit for consumption. But again, the waiter says, it's just a little fly. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to get serious here. Is a little racism okay? No. A little racism is not okay. Is a little arsenic okay? No. Is a little child abuse okay? No. Is a little adultery okay? No. And that's what Jesus was getting at. He said, a little leaven is not okay either. He said, I'm trying to show you that my daddy's trying to move you. He's going to move you out of laws and rules and regulations, and he's going to move you into a green pasture 
We're going to go on a journey together. But you've got to leave the leaven behind. The leaven which was the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, you have got to get rid of that. Otherwise, it will leaven your whole lump. Boy, this is so plain to see. Do you see this? So it's important for us to understand what in the world is in the old covenant. That's your assignment from this point forward. You can go figure it out. Go to the word and figure it out. Just look in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, particularly Exodus through Deuteronomy. You'll find all those laws in there. Find out what's in there. We don't observe them to be right with Christ today. We have the Holy Spirit. He has made us the righteousness of God in him. (laughs) I even woke Jim up on that one. Amen. I got an amen out of Jim. I might just leave that in on the recording, man. Amen. So listen to me again. I want to say it plain. I want to score this in your heart. It is not okay to have a little leaven in our lump. It's not okay to have leaven in our word, it's in our belief system. I understand we're all on this journey. We're all still moving, right? We're still on this journey, and it comes out day by day, word by word, sermon by sermon, understanding by understanding, teaching by teaching, revelation by revelation. It all continues to come out. But friends, be on a journey pursuing Christ, and he will bring all of that out of you. I can recognize leaven. Listen, man, you can't look at a lump uh, of bread. If someone just walked you into a room and said, does that loaf of bread right there that's still, you know, not been baked, do you think that's got leaven in it? You'd have no idea of knowing. But you say, I'll tell you what. Give me about 30 minutes and I'll let you know. You'll know within 30 minutes, won't you? And friends, I tell you what, when this gospel of grace, this pure gospel of grace takes root in your heart and you understand that you're the perfection of Christ and you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you can smell the leaven. And I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. I love all my brothers and sisters. And if you've got leaven in your, in your life, friends, you've got leaven in the word that you believe and stuff like that, guess what? It is done, it is ended, it is finished. You're still going to heaven, but I'm telling you what, you'll never get out of the coal mine shaft of condemnation and conditionality living like that. Here's the problem with mixing yeast into the loaf, old covenant, into a new batch of dough. If a believer continues to mix law into their doctrine, they can never be free in the 66, 67% of who you are, soul, and body. Their prongs will need constant attention. They'll always need to get straightened out. In fact, they'll want to straighten everybody else out. I can't tell you how many friends I lost early in my Christianity because I always wanted to straighten everybody out. I tried to do it in the kindest way. Val reminded me about that yesterday. She said, remember that guy when you worked at Motorola, you told him he was in adultery because he'd been married more than once? I said, yeah, I remember that. I lost a good friend uh, by doing something like that. But that's where I was, friends, what I was doing. And this guy was smart enough to realize that doesn't sound right. I was trying to put leaven in this man's life. And guess what? He'd already been beyond that stage. I don't need this old covenant law. I hadn't had that revelation yet. And I lost a good friend because of that. He kindly walked out of my life and we've never talked again since then. I don't know where I'd even find him at today. Friends, daddy didn't just refurbish the law. Daddy replaced it. I want you to get that in your heart this morning. Several years ago, I was waiting on a man that walked in to buy a television from me, and he began to tell me a story. I don't know how he got on it, but he began to tell me a story. He said, oh, Sonny, I was out fishing one day. He said, I felt this sneeze coming on me. He said, 
I was out in the middle of a boat in the river. He said, ah, He said, I sneezed so loud, he said, and so with such force, he said, I lost both my upper and lower plate. It flew out of my mouth right into the river and sank. Now, at that time, that man faced two choices. He could dive to the bottom of that river and feel his way to those teeth. I wish you well doing that. Or he could just simply replace them. And he chose to replace them. Friends, Daddy did not feel his way out of the old covenant. He replaced it. No, it was all part of the preparation. It was all part of ordaining Jesus. He replaced the old covenant. He replaced it with a new and better covenant. Can't you see that? A covenant of grace signed with the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a covenant without expiration. A covenant without conditional conjunctions. A covenant that never grows stale. A covenant that never wears the blindfold. A covenant that sparkles like a diamond and never loses its perfection. A covenant that made us the righteousness of God in Christ. A covenant that put an end to our sins. It put an end to the need for us sacrificing. And it put an end to our shadows. A covenant that infuses the believer with salvation and sanctification and spirit. A covenant that doesn't need our pitiful costume jewelry to accessorize Jesus' finished work on the cross. A covenant that fits us with shoes that fit us. The shoes of the gospel of peace. I'm talking about, friends, a covenant whereby we were made perfect, strengthened by grace. As I begin my descent in this message, I hope you're getting what I'm saying, friends. I don't know if I can say it any plainer. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Verses 25 through 27, we find these words. Husbands, love your wives exactly as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her what? Holy. Who made you holy? You didn't make you holy. Christ made you holy. He made her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Look at those next words without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is the way our Christ sees us. This is the way our Papa sees us. Without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. You know what? It interprets like this. Without stain or fold, or any other infection. That is the explanation behind those words, without any infection. I love that. In other words, because our Jesus, our groom, is perfect, we are his perfect bride. Jesus is the one who made us perfect. Therefore, we are made righteous by him, perfect by him, and we are still strengthened by his grace. Jude chapter 1, verse 4. Now unto him that is able to guard you from stumbling. I love that. And to set you before the presence of his glory. Look at these words. Without blemish. Come on. I mean, if you had a tiny blemish on you, a monkey could find that. 
He says, without blemish. You know what that says to me? You must be perfect if you have no blemish. He said, this is the way I see you. Without blemish, you are flawless in my eyes, in exceeding joy. This is what makes me so happy. Because I see the Spirit inside of you. It's the same Spirit as my Son, Jesus Christ. It's not two different spirits. It's Jesus living on the inside of you, the hope of glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, You have been born again. This new life did not come from something that dies. It came from something that cannot die. You were born again through God's life giving message that lasts forever. Does that speak of eternal, friends? That speaks of perfection and eternal, all in one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. But now he has made you his friends again. He did this by the death Christ suffered while he was in his body. He did it so that he could present you to himself as people, look at these adjectives, friends, who are holy, blameless, and without anything that would make you guilty before him. Wow! What a truth! And then some of my closing scriptures where the inspiration of this message came from. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. But you and me have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Do you see how happy everybody is? Everybody's celebrating. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all. Look at these words. To the spirits of righteous men made perfect. I told you that our perfection is in our spirit. And we were made that way. To the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Do you see how he tied this to a new covenant? The old covenant has passed away. It had an expiration date on it. He's tied it to the new covenant. You were made perfect to the new covenant. Through Jesus, it says, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Isn't that beautiful? My final scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 9. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. That's what I'm doing right now. Consider the outcome of their way in life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our heart to be strengthened by grace. Friends, that was the inspiration for this message. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. We have been rescued from the coal mine shaft of condemnation. We have been liberated from man-made attachments religious standards, and conditional conjunctions pertaining to our righteousness in Christ. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, was made sin, and humanity, the sinful soul, was made the righteousness of God in Him. 
For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As I look back across the landscape of this message, I can see that Jesus was appointed and prepared. Prepared to do what? Prepared to take away our sin. Prepared to take away our sacrifice that we have to feel like we have to sacrifice something. Prepared to take away the shadows of the old covenant. Through the cross, Jesus has given us a new and better covenant. It's a covenant of salvation. It's a covenant of sanctification. It's a covenant of spirit. Friends, by one sacrifice, we were made perfect, strengthened by grace. Our costume jewelry adds no value to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our righteousness came through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and was signed and sealed with his blood. Let the good news be declared publicly, almost like an artist signing his painting. It is done. It is ended. It is finished. Friends, in all of history, there will never be another portrait that illustrates love like the cross. And I thought about that yesterday, and I thought, even as the two beams of the cross are unparalleled, the cross also speaks of unparalleled love. A love that faced two choices. Scrap the law or scrap man. Daddy could have scrapped humanity, but why would he? Instead, he chose to make the old covenant obsolete. And then he moved us from the requirements of the old covenant to the righteousness of the new covenant. So let me ask you those two questions again. Is God's righteousness perfect? Yes. Do we possess God's perfect righteousness? Yes. We are the bride of Christ, one with Jesus. His righteousness is our righteousness. Friends, listen to me carefully. Our prongs may get bent out of shape at times. Our prongs may get weakened by all the things that knock against us. We may even lose a prong or two. But even if the diamond falls into the earth, it remains flawless. You see, diamonds do not fade. They do not tarnish. And they do not wear out. You and I can take refuge in the scriptures that remind us in God's mercy, he has given us birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Friends, we are the royal diadem of Daddy's heart. And through the shed blood of Jesus, we have been made perfect, strengthened by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Father, I just want to praise you, and I want to thank you. Occasionally, my 67% of me gets in the way. But I want to thank you, Father, that the Spirit is greater than my heart. The Spirit knows all things, searches all things, and loves me just the way I am. And Father, let that be our testimony that we would see and that we would look into the Spirit, the very candle of who we really are, the Spirit, the eternal Spirit, and we would see that you made us perfect. 
We're strengthened in our soul. We're strengthened in our mind, our will, our emotions through grace. We don't have to feel our way through life. We don't have to emotionalize everything. We don't have to even rely on our experiences or the persuasions that have been instilled on the inside of us. We don't even have to rely upon our doctrine. We rely simply upon the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ. It was by him that we were made perfect and strengthened by grace. In Jesus' name, amen.